You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 860 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday morning. And today's show will feature some news as well as a deep dive into Tyrese Halliburton out of Iowa State with Brian Schroeder set to join me to continue our ongoing series on some of the lottery draft picks in the upcoming 2020 NBA draft. But first, I want to tell you about the 2020 Locked On NBA Mock Draft, which I am actually a part of on this podcast, acting as the Hawks. In addition, basically, this is a five-part event starting on Wednesday on the Locked On NBA uh, podcast channel, breaking down six picks per episode. I am one of the main analysts um, of the show, along with a pair of recent guests on this podcast, including Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball and Brandon Clean of Locked On Suns, as well as Locked On Podcast CEO and founder David Locke as the host of the festivities. Also, some insight there from Chad Ford, from John Hollinger, from Jeremy Wu, and others. It can all be found on the Locked On NBA channel. Check that out right now. And also, uh, here who I decided to take at number six overall for the Hawks after the uh, draft broke a certain way in the top five. A little mystery there, so check that out um, in the coming days ahead. Also, I want to remind you to catch up on the most recent podcast that I've done on this channel, including a two-part discussion that I had with Ben Pfeiffer of the pro to pro NBA Draft Podcast on our last two episodes, the most recent of which posted last night. And uh, as sort of a story here, I recorded the intro to that podcast, scheduled it up with Ben for midnight on Monday into Tuesday, and right on cue, the NBA and the MBPA made a joint announcement that was certainly newsworthy, so if you're wondering why that was not in the last podcast, that would explain why the podcast was already out of my hands at that point, but before we dive into the details of what was announced on both sides there, I want to tell you about the good folks at Built Bar, and honestly, Built Bar is a product that I'll be consuming quite a bit in the coming days to keep me going, and Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. While I've told you before how much I really love the original Built Bar flavors, there are even more to choose from now. In fact, there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including my personal favorite cookies and cream, as well as other great choices like caramel brownie and lemon almond cheesecake. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which definitely differentiates Built Bar from the competitors. And from there, it's important to know that Built Bar is awesome for those of us trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying bars that taste absolutely great. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber, and Built Bar is even great for the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com right now. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. When you do that, you'll get 20% off on your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. For 20% off your next order, check it all out at BuiltBar.com. All right, we can now dive into the details on what the NBA and the Players Association announced very late into the night on Monday into Tuesday. First, it was announced as a, quote, agreement in principle, end quote, for next season with, quote, adjustments to certain provisions of the CBA impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Also, the Board of Governors from the NBA approved this unanimously on Tuesday evening, reportedly, so that is now the uh, the latest on that. It's all seeming to be pretty official at this point in time. A couple things to note that we kind of already knew that are now even more so official, one of which is the start date of December 22nd. Also, a 72-game season is planned. Nothing official on this particular nugget, but... The transaction freeze that the NBA is currently in could be lifted, according to ESPN's Andrew Wojnarowski, two to three days before the draft actually arrives on November 18th, which is about a week from now. In fact, there was the first real trade rumor of the offseason on Tuesday evening. It did not involve the Hawks, but ESPN reported discussions between the Thunder and the Suns on Chris Paul on Tuesday. So uh, 
I would say the news cycle is ramping up as we speak on that front. The draft is still November 18th, by the way, but free agency is now going to be less than 48 hours after the draft is over. The negotiating window can open at 6 p.m. Eastern on Friday, November 20th, where the draft is the 18th, and then deals can be signed officially at 12.01 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday, November 22nd. Camp then opens around December 1st, so it's basically a dead sprint from here for all teams across the league. The two sides did come to an agreement on the escrow system, which they said could rise up to 20% for any season and it actually could be spread out over, over multiple years. I'm not an expert on that, but that's the latest on the escrow front. The salary cap is now going to be set at about $109 million, luxury tax at about $132 million. Both the same as last season, which is definitely worth noting because the projections at one point were all a lot higher than that. The agreement also outlines an, in an increase of a, quote, minimum of 3% and a maximum of 10% with some tax ramifications that are in proportion to the basketball-related income here. Basically, the way ESPN reported it is if the BRI drops by a certain percentage, the tax bill for teams like the Warriors and the Nets and the Celtics and the Sixers would fall by that percentage for next season. That will not affect the Hawks directly as a team that's not going to be in the tax, but it could make teams a little bit less likely to do those drastic cuts by you know dumping players, paying paying uh, draft capital to get off players, etc. So we'll keep an eye on that for sure, but the cap is lower than we all thought it was going to be at one point in time. As far as the average fan is concerned, the big takeaways, I think, are the schedule dates, of course, and the salary cap numbers. The nerds in my life will certainly be excited to talk about escrow minutia and all the details there, but... The last thing is the new cap number is not a shock again, but in, in consulting with my people that are smarter than I am about the cap, the projection that I have for the Hawks is to have about $43.6 million in cap space when the madness begins in a couple of weeks here. Well, I guess eight, less than a couple of weeks, you know, a week and a half. And the number could go above $44 million if they were to move on from Brandon Goodwin, but somewhere in the neighborhood of $43, $44 million is where the Hawks are right now. Still number one in cap space in the entire league, but that is also worth noting. The numbers used to be higher, but now with the cap coming down a little bit from the projections, that number is about, again, $43.6 million as far as I have it right now. At any rate, it'll be an absolute wild time at this point, uh, with essentially one full day between the draft and free agency. So there's no breathing room whatsoever and complete chaos basically from now until like mid-December, maybe even after that, considering that the season's going to be starting from there. The schedule has not been released at this point in time, of course. We'll see where the Hawks are playing. I would guess they will not be playing on the first possible night, but you know, maybe, maybe by that 23rd, 24th of December, you can see the Hawks in action, and I will bring you details as we go in here. But basically... Full-on sprint from this point forward. The draft is still my main focus at this point in time, but free agency is going to be coming fast and furious from there. And we've been talking about free agency already on the podcast. The Hawks have so much cap space, but they have a ton of ways to use it, potentially on veteran players or trades, etc. There is no, you know, no-brainer max guy for the Hawks to pursue. There aren't a lot of guys who are really worth huge multi-year investments if you're the Hawks, but uh, that makes it all a lot more fun, even if even if a, lot, if a lot less clear. People always want to ask me what I think was going to happen with free agency, and honestly, no one knows, and I am uh, the first to tell you that I have some informed thoughts, but not, nothing in terms of reporting or specifics or something like that. It's wide open for the Hawks in a good way. They have a ton of possibilities, and we'll talk about all of that stuff in the coming days. Okay, after a quick break to hear from our sponsors, we'll be back with Brian Schroeder to discuss Iowa State guard and projected lottery pick Tyrese Halliburton, so hold on tight. Brian, we will go now to Tyrese Halliburton, a very popular mock draft fit for the Atlanta Hawks 
in this class and a guy who I know you've liked for a long time. Um, at the same at the same time, uh, it's now trendy to have him like as, as like a top five pick in this class. So a lot has changed in the last year or so. Uh, yeah. bro- broadly speaking, what do you think of uh, the Tyrese Halliburton experience? It's a wonderful experience. It's my favorite. He's one of my favorite college basketball players of the last like 20 years. I love him. I don't know. The, the problem is that he's still call He's not a point guard. It's just the most simple. Like he has point guard skills. He's an incredible passer. He's like a savant passer. He's like, you know, he can kind of get to the rim sometimes, but he's not like a, he's not a point guard. He doesn't like, he really like his efficiency was still good, but he really had problems being like the, the fulcrum point of a, an offense last year. Part of that was that Iowa state had maybe the worst collection of shooters I've ever seen. Uh, I don't know if I'm pretty sure it's the same. Cause when he, when he went out with injury, which the, the moment I stopped watching Iowa state, they were shooting like 21% on his passes for threes. And the most of those are open passes. So like his assist numbers would have been much, much higher if he was on a competent shooting team, but he's still not, he doesn't get to the foul line. He's just kind of a high dribbler. Like his, his, is he's so tall and has such a weird body that it's really hard for him to like get low and beat people off dribble. He can't take contact. He's not like he's he's a good like he'll hit layups. He's a good touch, but he's not a point guard. He is a connecting guard. He's Lonzo's the only guy who's really similar to him. He needs to play next to a point guard, and he needs to be. He's a transition point guard. He's a, he's the guy who makes the, the extra pass, and he makes it behind his back for no reason because he can. He you know and. He's six five, so he can play. He's a very good rebounder. He will shoot. Like his shot is weird, but he he will hit. Like he's above forty from three and above eighty eighty two from the line both seasons. So like that all that usually tracks. Um, he's defensively he's fine. He's a little weak on ball, but he's a great. He's just so smart. He makes such good reads that he's good. Like I love him as like a player. He's just extremely enjoyable to watch because he's very unique. Like he's only unique. He can't be very unique. That's a English major thing, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, he's just a, he's an excellent basketball player. He will like I'm very confident he will be good. I just if you're taking him in like the top, especially in like the top four or five in this draft, you're putting the burden of being a number one creator on him. That's not what he is. Like even like it, it, Killian has his, his flaws as like a dribble drive guy or some, but like Halliburton just doesn't get past people. He also does pick, he picks and chooses. Like he knows he can't get past people, so he won't attack when he really should be putting pressure. But like he's still like it makes him a better off ball player. He's a two guard, I feel like, or a guard. He's just he's he doesn't really have a position. It's whatever whatever his position is. It's not point guard, like in the way we think of it. Yeah, and I I would say the same thing for a long time too. And we agree on this. I, I love I love his game. I think he's really smart and does a ton of things well. It's just kind of. Um, and some of this is just the way that prospects are discussed. Um, when you have to put him in a, in a, in a positional group, um, some people put him in the point guard group, and I totally understand sort of why that is. But if you watch him, it's pretty clear that he's not going to be an on-ball, like, off-dribble creator in the NBA very much. Uh, he, he, it's just not what he does as a skill set. He, do, You know, the passing... I think is well regarded for a reason. He's a great passer, um, and people think point guard when they think passing. And he's a really good passer, and that's not going to change. That's a really strong part of his agenda as a player. But it's not a situation in which he can really explode by guys. And it's going to get worse. I mean, if you watch him in college, he didn't really do that. And put him in the NBA, and like, there's just almost no way he's going to be consistent. He will have a couple guys. feet more. He he actually may have. I think depending on if he's attacking closeouts, I think he's going to have more space and top. Oh, that's and like true. hit layups. Yeah. 
uh, because there's just going to be more space, and he's not going to be driving into like Kansas playing two centers like they did all year. And like you know, there's there some teams in the Big Twelve that like Baylor. I mean, Baylor plays a pro system, but they they also clog out. Like they they control the paint. That's their entire defensive system. So like, there'll there'll be situations where if he he catches the ball and he's got an opening, he's gonna he's gonna get past people. Like he's fast. Yeah, I actually think he's a, an underrated athlete a little bit. Like it's strength. His strength is like not very functional right now, but he is. And I don't know the exact, so this may be incorrect, but I know he's uh, a distant cousin of Eddie Jones. Which means he's also a cousin of uh, Gonzaga recruit Jalen Suggs, which means he's also a cousin of Terrell Suggs. <laughs> so he could get a little bigger. You some know, you fam- can't some say family, uh, some family math there. But no, I- I'm with you. I mean, the strength is the concern. I actually agree. He's not. A- he's not a bad athlete. It's just that he's not strong right now, and that that could change. Um, and that's a concern of his, but not one that I am terribly worried about. His especially- hands are strong. I'll say that. Yeah, and especially if, and we'll get into this with Atlanta, if you're drafting him to not be a number one on-ball primary creator, uh, there's a lot to like, and obviously the Hawks would not be doing that. There is this idea that he would be the backup point guard to Trey Young. I guess that could sort of work in some ways if he had another guy with him. Um, but in general, him playing with Trey, I like a lot, especially on offense. Defensively, we could talk about that, but I mean, offensively, I guess the shooting is really good on paper. Do you worry at all about the form? That's a question I guess people have about uh, Halliburton. I think it's going to go in and he it kind of already is. So I don't, really I worry. would worry more about his form if he was taking like, uh, like, like, to, like toe tip three pointers, but he's like, well, he takes like third, like 28 footers, like with these. So like the, the release is not going to be that much of a problem. If he's three feet back, three feet beyond the, the line, like people just don't contest even, Especially, you know, when he comes into the NBA, no one's going to run him off like he's Damian Lillard or anything. Like, he'll hit he'll hit open threes. And he's got good – like, he's got good – it's his hands. His hands are strange. Like I said, he has strong hands. He, The way he passes, the way he, like, manipulates the ball, like, with his wrist, it's like a quarterback, like, more than anyone else I can really remember. And he does, like – he's the only good jump passer that I can think of. Like, he's good at it. He, he's he, good at he does it a lot. He does it a lot too. <laughs> he, leaves, he leaves his feet and like will go go lateral and like stretch his whole body out and make these perfect passes, like perfect dump offs, perfect passes. It's it's really strange. Like LeBron's the only guy I can think of who does that. Who routinely right. will make these like go off of one foot, stretch his legs, and make like a wraparound pass to somebody. Halliburton does those, and he does like he had a he had a pass. I'm pretty sure it was on purpose. I should have asked him when I was talking to him the one time. He uh, when I think they're playing Northern Illinois this year this last year. He uh, basically did a one. He pressed two guys on his own in the backcourt. Just decided he wanted to play. He wanted the press. Deflected it as they were passing back and forth. Ran and caught it underneath the basket and threw it behind his back, right between those same two guys to one of his teammates for a layup. And I was like, <laughs> without looking, falling out of bounds. Like either that was on purpose or he's the luckiest man in the world. But he's also like, yeah, the shooting. I don't. You know, if you're gonna be shooting spot ups, he got a little better off the dribble. He has some. Sometimes he really has some setbacks, and I think you can get better at that. But um, the the biggest thing about him, and the biggest reason I I would, as long as you don't think he's an, an, a primary initiator, the biggest reason I'd love to take him is he's apparently like the personal the personality stuff. He's beloved. Yeah, he's, I mean every single every single person that you have heard from in public and also in private. Um, me too. You know everybody loves Tyrese Halliburton, and that's you know. It can be overstated sometimes. The character stuff does matter, but I will I will agree with you. I think it's basically universal that he is uh, a great teammate, guy, smart, you know, mature, everything that you would want from a prospect in terms of the off court stuff. He seems to be this big, huge smile all the time. It seems like he he wants to play basketball, 
all the time. And that's, you know, it's not a bad thing. No one, no one ever, no one will ever say about a prospect that they, they practice too much. Like that he works too hard. That's what you need to do. If you're going to get, especially if you're a guy who's not going to be a superstar, you need to have that. That's why Anthony Tolliver is still in the NBA because he just works really hard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good, it's obviously a great trait, and I think that definitely helps his floor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the offense, I mean, the the basketball IQ stuff we, we touched on it, but he is so uh, sort of genius level smart with the things that he does that it's really easy to like him on that end of the floor. I do want to ask you about his defense because off ball, there's a lot to like. On ball, it's not always been great, and part of that's strength. Uh, what do you think of his overall defensive profile, which obviously comes into play in Atlanta because you're playing the next to Trey Young in theory, so you, yeah. you need, he needs to be good or that's going to be tough. Yeah, he, he could be hunted. I think I think he's going to be hunted by like stronger guards. He has choppy footwork. I think he can really work on that, and that's where you hope that like the development staff, he'll get his, he'll get, like when, he, when he's rotating, he'll, he'll take steps that are too long or too short he doesn't really have the timing down perfectly but he does make he makes such good reads that it usually doesn't hurt him but he can yeah he can get he can burned um he boxes out fairly hard he's just just so so slight that he can be moved but he's got great length like i'm still not sure six seven and a half is reported it was reported at seven foot at one point which was not true because that's too tell playing it but i i still i still think it could be like six nine like i wouldn't be surprised because and he's he's a good he's a solid six five like he's legit He's tall. He he just looks so. Th- he just has like no bulk on his body really. He has weird kind of Jason Tatum shoulders where it's gonna be hard to do that. I mean, he's kind of like really bladey shoulders. You know what I mean? Like they stick out. And he's just gonna be. It's gonna be difficult for him to put on a whole lot of weight. I feel like, but you can always get stronger and not gain weight. That's you know, that's how biomechanics work. But I don't know. His defense is. There's there's questions. There's questions about it because he he's not gonna. He's going to get blown by, by by faster guards. It's just he doesn't have that elite foot speed, that lateral foot speed. He's got great like down the court because he's so he's so tall. He takes like sprinter. He runs like a like a like a uh, distance sprinter does, where he just gobbles up, you know, ten feet at a time with his strides. Um, he honestly physically, this is going to sound weird. He kind of physically is like what Giannis was when he was like eighteen, where he's just like strange looking. It doesn't look. He's very he's it's very easy to tell when even when he was playing on the on the under uh the under twenty team, uh that Katie Cunningham and, and Jalen Green, all these guys and uh Mobley was on were on last year, they won the gold. He was the second best player on the team after Kate Cunningham. Um but even even on that team he was very he stuck out. Like he just who's that guy? Yeah, it's interesting because I'm, I'm, when you're talking about his rebounding numbers, I, I went to look it up, uh and his rebounding was actually pretty pretty solid this year for a guard anyway. Um his numbers are kind of crazy. Uh, I know you know this, but for people listening, he was a two-year guy at Iowa State. His his freshman year, he had a nine, yes, nine percent usage rate, and, and played a ton. Like, and, and was like a prominent member of that team, but just played the most minutes in the Big Twelve for most of the season. Like that, that it's so crazy that a guy who had a nine percent usage rate for a full season in college the next year is a consensus lottery pick. That just doesn't happen. It's just he's such a bizarre, weird, fun player. Um, and this year, honestly. For a guy that was easily the best player on his team, and also as a guard, he only had 20, 20% usage this year, which is not 
like incredibly high. It's like fairly modest for, especially yeah. for a guard prospect. Um, and part of that's just the way that we were talking about him before. He's not this on-ball creator guy, but a 35% use, uh, sorry, assist rate is off the charts. And there's a lot to like here. It's just kind of a bizarre profile. It's always worked. And I think it's going to still work, but for people that are like traditionally looking for what a top five pick looks like, it doesn't look like Tyrese Halliburton <laughs> for the most part. The, the, the strangest stat for him and these are just raw numbers. Uh, in 2018-19, when that's more the role he'll be in the NBA because he had Taylor Horton Tucker, Lindell Wigginton on that team, Marielle Shayok. Those are all like big usage guys, you know, who love the dribble. And he would just uh, a. There's three stats. It. it uh, I don't know exactly when it was, it, but at some point in the middle of Big 12 play, there was a period where he had exact in transition. He had exactly 45 assists and one turnover, which is insane. Like he just he got the ball in transition and pushed and made things happen every single time, but last last year or two years ago in 2018-19 he was 20th in the entire Big 12 in three pointers made, eighth in assists, fourth in steals, and tenth in blocks. Uh, and the other thing is like like someone else we may talk about. Uh, yeah, this is the strangest one. This is how you can tell he's also not a, he's not a point guard and he's also a bizarre prospect. Um, he ended his freshman season with 30 blocks and 28 turnovers as a guard. <laughs> more blocks than turnovers that it's, doesn't happen that's not right. supposed to happen that's just and this true. year yeah. this year that that went you know that went the other way but he still had a like he still had more than he had 45 blocks and 89 turnovers for his college career as a full-time point guard 270 something assists and like a, well over 100 steals so like he creates a lot of turnovers a lot of impact defensive plays he creates a lot of scoring opportunities he's a wonderful dump off passer and like gets to the corners and all that. He'll, he'll he, very good offensive rebounder. He runs, he just like reads the ball. Well, gets rebounds, scores. He will shoot threes. He'll, he'll score. Like he shot over 70% at the rim. He just didn't go to the rim. That's, he only went, he did the Derrick Rose thing where Derrick Rose only makes a passes that he knows will be assists. <laughs> uh, Tyrese Halliburton only goes for layups that he knows he can hit. Well, and yeah, he's not explosive, and I, I do trust his touch. You know, the free throw shooting, the sample is not enormous, but you know, everyone agrees. I think that he's going to be a pretty good shooter um, at the next level, uh, and the touch is good. It's just that he's not going to be the guy who goes through contact and finishes. That's just not what he's going to do. No, and he knows that. That's I think that's the biggest. I mean, it makes him a better prospect, but it also I think that is one of the bigger weaknesses. That he understands that, so he's just not going to do it. Right. And that's, I mean, for me, that's a good thing. I think a guy who knows what he can and can't do is generally positive. Do you wish that he could get to the rim? Yeah, you would wish that, especially on a team like the Hawks, where, like, for instance, Kevin Herter has that problem as well. He's not been able to get to the rim in the NBA. Um, but Halliburton does so many little things very well. And I think, you know, broadly speaking, I have to ask you this just because it's a Hawks podcast. What do you make of the fit? Because. In some ways, it makes a ton of sense, especially for him. If you're him, getting to a spot where he's not the lead guard is probably a good thing. The Hawks, same thing. It's not perfect in my mind, but there's a lot to like and some stuff to question, I think. Well, I think that's. I think it's a great fit because especially if Hayes is gone, I think Hayes would be the ideal guy because he has some of the, a lot of the same traits as Halliburton, but also is a point guard and like will probably be a more dynamic scorer and a better defender and is not... At least he's maybe slightly behind as a passer, but he's you know still an excellent passer. So I think if Hayes was gone, I would I would think about it. I would definitely consider it. Yeah, and I think there's a reason why he's mocked to the Hawks so often. I think he's a safe pick in a lot of ways, and not in the worst possible way. I mean, safe is sometimes seen as this bad thing. I don't I don't see that. I don't see it that way. I think 
It's defensible. I think it's a move that if they make, I will not be bothered by whatsoever. I also think that it's not necessarily the highest upside thing that they could do at six. Um, but I mean, I don't know. It's kind of the thing with this draft is there's not that many high upside guys in it. So well, right. You're also comparing him, and we'll come back to this too. What you're comparing him to. You know, yes, you're talking about Killian. If Killian's there, then he's an interesting comparison. But also, you're comparing him to the wings, like your Okoros and your Vassells, or even Denny, as like these options in this range. And they're different players, but they're all, um, I don't know, they're all interesting, especially for the Hawks, because I think they all benefit from not having to be cast as this like lead guy, and the Hawks already have that. So Atlanta is, in some ways, the best kind of landing spot for almost all of these role guys. Yeah. Except for the centers. Yeah, I mean, not, yeah, I agreed. I mean, and even then, like, it's not exactly, uh, you know, roster fit. It's that it's just kind of having guys in front of them. You know, yeah. it's not like yeah. um, if you if you if you could pick a place for uh, a Kongwu in particular, it might be a great spot for him to have a point guard like Trey Young. It's just the fact that they don't they have guys ahead of him already. Yeah, when's so, he gonna play? Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, final final thing on Halliburton, I guess. Um, you know, what's the what's a average outcome for him look like what's a high-end outcome for him look like is that's kind of the hardest thing i, thought, uh, that I find I, that's why i'm asking I you would this, say it's really the hard. average outcome is whatever delon Wright was before he we went like memphis delon Wright, where it's like that's a good player um people be better shooter though is the thing that's why it's hard to do yeah delon Wright I was shooting i mean lonzo the, you mentioned it before lonzo's the comp everybody uses and i i get why um it just physically it's, they're so different though they are, but it's also the only kind of archetype that people, that people, especially broad NBA fan, like your semi-casual NBA fan, knows what Lonzo Ball plays like to some extent. And that's yeah. it's the hardest thing to do to, for Halliburton is to try to find a comparison that's not Lonzo Ball because Lonzo is the only one that really does check a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of the boxes. I actually think if he if his shooting really, if he really can like speed up his release, I actually think it could be like George Hill. Yeah, that's not bad. I, and obviously, George Hill has become this like uber think, elite shooter recently. But I think George Hill is always a slightly overrated defensively. But I think I think his like his ability is like a passer and like a connector guard. That's the yeah. that's like the second or third guard to just like may always make the smart pass immediately. Is and George Hill's a great steals guy. So I actually think George Hill could be what he looks like. George Hill's a really good comparison, and Halliburton's even bigger. Well, not you know physically he's Much long, longer. He's like I mean. two inches, two inches taller. Yeah, yeah he's longer than George Hill, but that, that's a great one. And that George Hill is really good. Everyone agrees he's really good, but no one wants George Hill to be their every down point guard. No, at, on, on a good team. And that's what Halliburton is going to be like. You can play him a point guard some, for sure, but you kind of need to have somebody alongside him that can handle the ball and take usage and all that stuff. Whereas, completely selfishly, it, I think the best possible fits for him are like Boston or Utah, where it's just like they need they need more guards. They just need guards, but they don't need they don't need a guy who has the ball all the time because Boston has two of those guys. Utah's got you know the one of the highest usage players in the basketball. Oh yeah, if you if you put him on Boston and you put him uh I mean especially if you took Kemba off the court and just had him out there with like Smart, Brown and Tatum, it's like what are you supposed to do with that? Uh but yeah, I'm with you. I mean there there are places a little bit further down the board that I really like for Halliburton. I think of the teams in the top 7 8 9, the Hawks might be the one of, one of the better ones for him. I think so. Um, I would not want him to go. I said this before, but I don't. I don't want him to go to the Knicks. I, I would hate that for him. I don't, I don't want that to Detroit happen. Detroit is terrifying. To yeah, me the same him. one. And and they could pick him. It wouldn't surprise me if they did. Um, but I'm if I'm him. If I'm him, obviously you want to go as high as possible to get to get paid and all that stuff. But I think Atlanta is a good spot for him uh, in terms of just combining going high in the draft and also being in a spot where he can develop and be good. 
All right, this is Brad coming to you in post-production. To wrap up today's podcast, we will have much more with Brian, including uh, snippets on Devin Vassell and Isaac Okoro in the coming days. And thank you to Brian again for all the time that he's given us on the podcast. Please follow Brian's work at Cosmos on Twitter and also on Patreon. Follow me if you would like to at BT Roland. Follow the show at Locked on Hawks. And please, please, please subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, tell your enemies, whatever you need to do to help us grow the podcast. Thank you for your support during this extended offseason, but we're getting there. I promise it'll be ramping up even more so in the coming days. So subscribe, tell your friends, and we'll see you next time.